Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the EduBabble Emporium, where we discuss what is happening in public education with a common sense perspective. Tom O'Brien is a 30-year public school educator that believes that being bold and speaking truth and wisdom is imperative in today's world of lies and confusion. Welcome to the show, and enjoy. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Edubabble Emporium. My name is Tom O'Brien. Today, we are going to be talking about wokeness in education and the impact that these different woke ideologies have had on our schools. First, I want to make a qualifier here. I am an opinionated teacher. I definitely feel very strongly about a lot of the different ideas that are coming down the pike. And I must say that the leaders in my district have had open ears and I think open minds. They have listened. And although we don't agree on everything, I feel like they believe that there are other opinions out there that are worth hearing and that there are legitimate concerns among teachers and parents about some of the concepts that are being pushed into our schools. So I do want to say that right off the bat. So I speak about the things that are going on today because I feel obligated to do so. And I suppose if I worked in a factory making widgets, and if I disagreed with my bosses, I would just put my head down, do my job, and just try to ignore everything going on around me. But in the public schools, I do my job. I do the best that I can. I respect my leaders. Don't always agree with them, and they know that. But I understand that there are many ideologies out there right now that are being promoted by universities, unions, powerful organizations, and leaders. And although I'm not speaking out against individuals specifically that I work with, because I work with great people, but I am speaking out against the toxic ideologies that I believe have no place in our public schools. I believe they're dividing students and communities and they are negatively influencing behaviors and academic performance among our students. And the saddest part about it, and the most impactful thing about it, is it is instilling, a lot of these ideologies are instilling a victim mindset into the hearts and minds of a lot of the students that we are serving. My idea of education has always been that we should promote resilience and excellence and never a victim mindset. So I want to start out by listening to a young man from a public school district outside of Michigan that has a lot to say about this wokeness that we speak of. So give it a listen. 
the board's attempt to deny it, District 196 schools are quickly becoming a place where promoting activism is actually more important than promoting education. I'll take you, I'll take you back to my first day at RHS this fall. The principal came out and gave us a heartfelt speech about equality and standing together. Um, he began to list countless races, such as Latino, Asian, expressing how much they matter and how important they are. But never once did he mention a race or identity that reflects me, or half the kids that were in the class. Now, members of the board, I know you haven't been to school in a while, and I know most of the people, I know none of you, or most of you, don't have any kids left in the school district. Um, but you must admit how uncomfortable it will be to be characterized just by your skin color on the first day of school and be thought that you were wrong just because of your skin color. So I'll never forget the look one of my friends gave me from across the room as we were sitting there listening to this blatant bias being expressed in the so-called equity statement by the leader of our school. To be clear, I don't need you to tell me that I matter, but hearing the condolences given to other races and leaving just one race out, it inevitably you'll start to feel like you've done something wrong. And in our principal's attempt to unify us, he instead created unwarranted boundaries and barriers between his students, pitting us against each other based on characteristics that we can't control. In another separate instance, I was told that writing all lives matter on the whiteboard was political and could be seen as offensive. When I questioned the teacher after class, she told me that she didn't have an answer and she just had to erase it, and it was quickly erased. There are political signs all over RHS specific, about specific races that matter, specific sexual orientations that matter, and specific perspectives that matter. But when I questioned the RHS administration about how these signs were political, they told me that they were supporting human rights. So when I questioned why the equity statement couldn't represent all students, they told me that to even ask that question was outlandish and offensive. And they, when I asked why that was, they told me, quote, whites have a pretty good situation right now, unquote. So is that not racism? Disregarding my question merely because of the color of my skin. To be honest, after enduring a year of the people in charge telling me that I'm a racist and I'm privileged and pointing out our irreversible differences, I've never noticed race more. And it's becoming the first thing I notice when I meet someone, which has never before been the case. RHS administration confidently told me that RHS students and staff are happy with their equity statement. But from the ex my experience in talking with other students, this is not the case. I know many kids who disagree with their teachers, but they're too scared to stand up because they're worried that their grades will be docked and their learning experience will be affected. My honors government teacher, I'm not gonna say his name, but he's mentioned that Democrats care more about all people while Republicans only care about themselves. And he's also inferred to us that socialism is better than democracy. He even had a statue, he had a statue of a socialist leader in his classroom. Um, I have been, I've been told by a lot of kids that they just stay silent and adjust their schoolwork to reflect an acceptable opinion to secure a good grade. I've been approached by multiple teachers who have told me in private that they just want to say that they agree with me and they support me standing up, but they can't say it in front of the class for fear of being disciplined by the administration in some way or losing their jobs. There is clearly only one way to think in this district, and that is that they are teaching their kids to shut up if they don't agree. Now, members of the board, I want you to take a good look at yourselves in the mirror tonight and ask, are you really standing up for the equality of all people, or are you just pushing a damaging political ideology? Well, for a freshman in high school, a very well-spoken young man. And I will tell you this, there are some of the points that he made that are reflective of the situation I find myself in, because there are many teachers that do agree with me on a lot of different things, but they don't speak up because 
they feel like they would in some way be targeted or marked as an individual that uh, doesn't care about kids or that is racist or whatever. I guess after 30 years, I don't care as much about what people think about me, but instead I feel obligated to speak out against the toxic ideologies being promoted in our schools. Now, if you listen to my podcast and you have heard some of the things that I discuss, you'd think, gosh, does this guy ever have any fun? Is that all he does is perseverate on these negative topics? Folks, that's really not me. I am a pretty fun guy. And my students, I think they would agree. They, they most of the time have a lot of fun in my geography class. It's really an ancient, ancient history class. But I do feel like these topics are pretty serious. And um, I want to provide counterpoint. I think that uh, our, district, our district is not at a place where it is full-fledged implementing these things. But people need to speak up so it doesn't go any further. And we need to bring it back on the tracks to common sense. So another thing that frustrates me about public education is that all the newfangled ideas that come down from academia and from our government bureaucrats and elected officials with regard to education, because, you know, everybody knows what's best for kids, especially in the universe of wokeness, the enlightened ones. We hear all these ideas coming down, ideas like PBIS and SEL and DEI. And you know what? Never do I ever hear any pushback from our leaders. Well, why is that? And I've thought long and hard about it, and the only thing I can really think of is their life is more difficult if they speak out against it. And quite possibly, their hopes of keeping their position or moving up the ladder would be removed. Because you know what? I think of Christianity today and how hostility has really been focused on Christians because Christians have more of a traditional you know, perspective on things. And I've also noticed how so many people criticize biblical teachings and so many churches have twisted and formed the Word of God around what they want, and they have changed things to fit the culture. Now, as Christians, our Christianity and our belief in our Savior is supposed to influence culture. But what a lot of churches have allowed to happen is the culture has influenced the church, and that's not right. But my point is, so these biblical ideas have been manipulated and changed and, and twisted into different pretzels of information that kind of go against the original biblical teachings. But boy, when it comes to these ideologies coming from the universities and the Department of Education and a lot of academia, boy, you can't say a thing about them. They're written in stone. They are even 
more inspired than biblical truth. I'm not kidding you. You can't, you can't say a negative word about them. And no one ever pushes back on these things. And it is frustrating. But you know, the more you dig into these different ideologies, like anti-racism or equity, you know, even though both of these terms seem to be dressed in virtue, if you spend some time digging into them, you will discover their sinister intent. You got to look to the origins. And we are so blessed to live in the United States of America. And I feel like we are individuals created in the image of God. So why do we spend so much time giving students reasons why they shouldn't be successful or why they shouldn't be thankful to live in the United States of America? Is it healthy to blame historical inequities, to use a multitude of excuses as to why poor, poor work habits, a bad attitude, and a disrespectful view of education is someone else's fault? Should we blame others for the hardships we experience or for the perceived poor hand that life dealt us? As educators, the game plan should be to instill the qualities of intellectual strength, resilience, and compassion into students so they can move on and do great things in society. Focusing on past indiscretions without hope of absolvement and dwelling on the negative aspects of our great country and the individuals that live here is so unhealthy. Painting students as victims breeds narcissism. The ability to think of other people and to appreciate our common humanity is crowded out by resentment and self-pity if we allow that narcissism to take hold. This is toxic stuff. But as an educator, I refuse to participate in this popular outcrop of modern culture. I will continue to teach students that they are capable blessed and able to do great things if they dig deep and push forward and think of others. As a teacher, I am here to help encourage discipline and hold my students accountable. Absolutely. But the student is the one that holds the key. And the blame game is a ticket to despair. Resilience and a spirit of thankfulness, hard work, and resolve leads to contentment. I will not participate in the victim narrative. There is another clip I would like to play right now that discusses these issues that we are talking about. So give it a listen. Do you know what's going on in your kid's school? If not, now would be a good time to take a look. Here's what you're likely to find. According to the education establishment, the purpose of public education is no longer just to teach the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. It is to awaken students to the fact that they live in a country that has been, remains, and will probably always be racist. Here's how the American Association of School Administrators, AASA, recently described its mission. At a time of obscene inequities, merely trying to compensate is not enough. AASA's work must go further and become actively anti-racist. Being anti-racist sounds simple and laudable. Treat everyone the same, a version of the golden rule. What could be wrong with that? Nothing. 
except that's not what the educational elite means by anti-racism. Anti-racism, in its current formulation, does not mean equal treatment of others. It is an all-encompassing ideology that demands that white people accept that their behavior is either implicitly or explicitly racist, and has been for at least 400 years. The catch-22 here is that to say you're not racist only proves how racist you really are. That is, you are so racist you don't even know it. And if this accusation upsets you, that's proof of your white fragility. Education Week's Classroom Q&A blog tells teachers that, as Ibram X. Kendi, the author of How to Be an Anti-Racist, would say, there is no not racist. There is only racist and anti-racist. Your silence favors the status quo and the violently oppressive harm it does to black and brown folk everywhere. What Kendi is saying is, if you don't voice active agreement with him, you are a racist. And if you treat people equally regardless of race, you're also a racist. Anti-racists embrace racial discrimination as long as it's done on their terms. As Kendi has said, the only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. I understand how wrong this might sound. It turns the Martin Luther King concept of racial equality on its head. But that's exactly the point. Lorena German, who chairs the Committee on Anti-Racism for the National Council of the Teaching of English, makes this clear. At the height of the recent urban unrest, German wrote that arsonists should serve as a model for teachers. Educators, what are you burning? Your white-centered curriculum? The school's racist policies? Your racist-ass principal? The funding for police and schools versus counselors? What are you burning? German's call to commit arson may have been metaphorical, but her call to get rid of the traditional school curriculum is not. A lesson plan created by the New York City Culturally Responsive Education Working Group, Transforming Our Public Schools, a Guide to Culturally Responsive and Sustaining Education, tells teachers that the whole Western canon is rife with horrible stories and atrocities of who we are as people of color. For their part, the National Committee on Social Studies has promised to flood our children with counter-messages until there is no racial inequality in economic opportunity, no racial inequality in education, no racial inequality in incarceration rates, and no brutality from police and others. If that sounds to you a lot more like political indoctrination than education, you'd be right. New York State now encourages teachers to incorporate current events, even if they are controversial, into instruction, and to utilize tools that encourage students to engage with difficult topics, power, privilege, access, inequity, constructively. We might all wish that as cultural and political polarization reaches into more and more areas of American life, schools could remain an apolitical oasis where children can learn to read, write, and develop skills of socialization. But if that's what you want for your children, then just know that anti-racist educators think that you are part of the problem. According to a writer for Teaching Tolerance, a project of the Southern Poverty Law Center, anti-racist educators recognize that schools today are doing exactly what they were built to do in this country. Exclude, silence, 
erase, promote white supremacy. An anti-racist approach to schooling could very well mean an ending to schools as we know them. That is certainly true. The National Council on the Teaching of English insists there is no apolitical classroom. The educational elite has a very clear lesson plan in mind for your children. If you're okay with it, you can send Johnny and Jennifer off to school with a glad heart. If you're not okay with it, better talk to the principal. Well, there you go. So you can see all these different organizations and the educational elite all believe that teaching this wokeism is a necessity in today's world. Personally, I think we need to look at human beings as made in the image of God. God looks at us all equally. Now, if you don't believe that, if you're not a believer, hopefully you can appreciate the unalienable right stated in our 14th Amendment. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges of, or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Equal protection. The Equal Protection Clause. But instead of respecting the natural rights of all human beings and that we are all to be treated equally under the law, schools and pop culture are implementing ideas based on cultural Marxism. Now, some people would say, oh, that's hyperbole now. Come on. Really? But remember, Karl Marx was devoted to destroying capitalism, and he used the tried-and-true method of division to weaken the populace, to divide rich versus poor, and weaken the civilization to make it ripe for Lenin's Bolshevik socialist revolution. Now, today, society and schools are dividing using a multitude of characteristics, race, gender, gender identity, the list goes on. But it is time to put away the divisiveness. Instead of obsessing over social, emotional issues and feelings, let us create an academic environment where behavioral, academic, and ethical standards are treasured, where we look to helping others instead of falling into the trap of breeding a victimhood mentality, where everyone is hyper-focused on the misgivings of society and their oppressed state of affairs. This way of thinking is incredibly unhealthy and is creating school environments based on entitlements, and we are enabling failure. Here's a quote from the National Education Association. In too many communities, years of systemic racism and unconscious bias have limited opportunities for many students and contributed to a growing education gap. Racial justice is the systemic fair treatment of people of all races resulting in equitable opportunities and outcomes for all. Wow. Now, as you know, equity is another term for equality of outcome or forced equality. As an example, many of the United States' largest airlines, I'm just kind of giving you 
a parallel example here out in, the, out in the world, many of the United States' largest airlines have decided that instead of hiring the best pilots, they have now switched the focus to hiring pilots based on color, chromosomes, and a host of new categories established by the enlightened ideology of intersectionality, which, by the way, is ingrained in critical race theory ideology. Which, according to those of superior intelligence, is just a conspiracy. Come on, Tom. You're talking conspiracy theories again. But I'm not. Intersectionality is based on dividing groups into two columns. Those that are oppressors and privileged and those that are oppressed victims. Now, the more marginalized subcategories... For example, if you are female and gay and a person of color, you have multi-characteristics that elevate you to a higher level within this intersectionality culture. So the higher your rank in woke culture, the more avenues there are to pursue. Intersectionality perpetuates victimhood as virtuous with the workplace needing to have more of the victim categories represented and fewer of the privileged oppressors with a heightened focus on fewer white males. This is currently true in the corporate world and schools are following suit, but we need to stand back and take a look and really see what is happening. Can you see how we are using racist terms and actions to support a highly flawed and racist political ideology? Folks, this is why I'm speaking up. These ideas poison the minds of our kids, and we cannot remain silent any longer. We need to educate ourselves about this stuff. It's just not good. So let's now listen to an expert on this matter. John McWhorter is a linguistics professor from Columbia University. Now, not that it should matter, but he is an African-American man. He is a classical liberal. Look it up. It's much different than today's definition of liberal. And although he embraces many of the ideals of the left, he sees the toxicity of woke culture and the anti-racist doctrine. He sees this mindset as poison to minority communities. So let's listen to what he has to say. I think you will get a lot out of it. There's a philosophy masquerading as anti-racism that claims to help black people, but it too is a Trojan horse that harms the very people it proposes to help. This philosophy is encapsulated in quasi-religious texts like Robin DiAngelo's White Fragility. Few books about race have more openly infantilized black people than this supposedly authoritative tone. It portrays black people as perpetual victims, always crying, always angry, needing whites to tiptoe around us. It's condescending. Those who practice the bigotry of low expectations, demanding testing and academic standards need to be lowered to accommodate black people, make it appear as if we're incapable of succeeding on the same level as everyone else. Those who claim moral virtue in doing the work are in fact doing the work of making me into a perfect idiot. 
By focusing on disparate outcomes and that which is problematic, this racist orthodoxy distracts us from doing the actual work that could help improve the lives of Black Americans. Studies on mismatch show that those lowered academic standards cause Black people to attend schools where they're less likely to earn degrees than they would otherwise be. When we look at statistics showing that Black boys are more often suspended in schools, we hear preachers of the orthodoxy argue that the only reason this could be is racist bias, never mind how the effects of poverty might cause it. Mayor Bill de Blasio spearheaded an effort to make sure Black boys are disciplined less. But the problem is, there are violence and gangs at predominantly Black schools, and disciplining gang members less prevents all the other Black students at those schools from learning. So John McWhorter, like I said, a professor at Columbia University, obviously his thoughts and ideas are not embraced by his colleagues, but nonetheless, they respect the heck out of the guy. And he believes that this new woke ideology is like a religion. And if you do not follow it, and you are, for example, in the educational realm, you are an unbeliever, you are a heretic, and people will treat you as such. And he's totally right. So I feel like schools, all schools, need to wake up. We need to be awakened and not participate in wokeness. Now what's coming next is something called culturally responsive teaching and culturally responsive behavior management. And what that is, is we are going to be required as teachers within the schools to modify how we teach based on race or socioeconomic background. We will manage behavior, not with a set guideline based on a student handbook. We're not going to hold everybody to the same behavioral expectations. No, we are going to modify our expectations based on race. And if someone is not following directions or is being disrespectful or is talking out, well, that could just be a manifestation of their culture. And we need to modify how we do things as teachers. Think about the chaos that could bring about. It could be really insane in schools if, if they continue with this. Now, PBIS is a step in that direction, as is the SEL dogma that is being promoted in schools. So my belief is we need to hold students to universal standards, expect excellence, behavioral and academic, for all. Because if we expect anything less based on race, that's the bigotry of low expectations, folks. That's not right. So these equity programs, under the guise of acronyms like PBIS, DEI, and SEL, they do, when fully implemented, breed a victim culture. 
They are all equity-based programs. And they encourage the marginalized, blaming their failures on the systemically racist schools and white privilege culture. Now, all disparate data, and that's data where minority students don't perform as well as other groups, and we could be talking about discipline referrals, grades, test scores, etc. This equity mindset says that all of these inequities can be blamed on the implicit bias of white teachers and the systemically racist schools. Now, this is all nonsense. I think we all know this. But we can't be afraid to speak out against it. This is insanity, folks. There are even some states right now that are getting rid of AP programs and STEM programs because of the disparate data, the disproportionate number of Asian and white students that are getting into these programs based on their test scores compared to minority students, Hispanics and blacks. Now, I think we need to do everything we can to bring more minorities into things, um, expose them to a vast array of different programming, but they are actually, I think it's Oregon that got rid of some of their programming because it was considered to be racist. Too many Asians and too many whites. So teachers, parents, and others vested in our students, it is time to stand up, to speak truth, and let your ideas be heard. If we don't bring schools back to common sense now, then when? So we need to be praying for our students, our schools, and for people to gain discernment. Our children are worth fighting for. Thank you for listening to the Edge of Babel Emporium, and I will see you next time.